welcome to the Redeemer Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And our student ministries exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Our whole goal is to come alongside parents and helping their kids follow Jesus Christ. And so what you're about to listen to is a sermon that was preached on our Wednesday night gathering from 6.30 to 8.30. And as you listen, I pray that you are encouraged and that you would be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ as we behold Him in His glory. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. Let me get this recording. All right. Well, hello, everybody. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Matthew Bloomquist. I am a senior here at Redeemer Students, and I've been asked to preach today. I don't know why. There are so many other people that are way more gifted and better communicators of the word than me, but uh, here I am. So I'm excited to preach with you guys. When JT asked me to preach to junior high, I got super excited because that means I got 15 minutes of gym time. So it's been so long since I've been able to play in the gym after worship. So that's what got me most excited. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Gym is great. Love hanging out there with you guys. But I'm more excited to preach the word. And so we have been looking at the attributes of God, right? What are some of the attributes that we've already learned about? Who can help me out? I've listened to some. I've done them all. What attributes of God have we already learned about? Yes? The sovereignty. I can't say it. That's okay. That's okay. It's a big word. The sovereignty. The sovereignty of God. Very good. What other? Do you know? The infinity of God. The infinity of God. Very good. Any other? The yeah. eternity of God. The eternity of God. Yes. The omnipresence of God. Love. The love of God. Okay, awesome. All right. Well, today we're going to be looking at another great attribute of God, known as the justice of God, or that God is just. And so I'm going to open in a word of prayer, and then we're going to get into it. Father, you are so gracious to us, and I pray that even now you would prepare our hearts to receive the word, that we would receive it not as the words of men, but as the word of God. Lord, fill me with your spirit to be able to communicate the word of God clearly, and would you just move me so far out of the picture so that Christ is the only thing that is seen, and would the word now sown among us bear fruit causing us to grow into the likeness of Christ. Grow each and every one of ours, our knowledge of God. Would we walk away with such a big picture of who God is and such a big picture of how sinful we are as humans and walk away with a love, a greater love for Christ, our Savior. In your name I pray these things, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, we are going to be looking at the justice of God. So if you have your Bibles... Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32. It is the fifth book of the Old Testament. And when you get there, yell, I got it. I don't got it. Whoa, that was fast. Deuteronomy 32. Got it, got it, got it, got it. You guys are speedy. So, Deuteronomy chapter 32, 
is the, we're going to be looking at the first five verses, and it is the start of a song of Moses. But before we even go into that, we need to get some context, all right? So before we go into our passage, Moses was a leader of Israel, somebody chosen by God to lead, to lead God's chosen people, Israel, out of the land of Egypt. They were slaves, and Moses led them out of the land of Egypt through the wilderness, and now they're headed into the promised land. This is the land promised to Abraham many years before. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, and the Lord has promised his people that he will bring them there. And Moses is the guy that God used to bring them all the way to this point. And so where we are today is the Lord met with Moses, and he prophesied to him. And he said, Moses, you have led the Israelites all the way to the promised land, but you are not actually going to bring them into the promised land. You are going to hand off the baton to a man named Joshua. And Joshua is going to be the man who leads them into the promised land. But you are going to be dying soon, Moses. The Lord, imagine that. The Lord appears to you and he talks to you and he says, you're going to die soon. That would be pretty crazy. He says that to Moses. He says, you're going to die soon. And when you die... My people are going to be brought into the promised land, but then they are going to sin against me. They're going to fall into a lot of idolatry. They're going to worship other gods, and they're, for, they're going to forget the God who brought them out of slavery, who provided for them in the wilderness, who defeated all of their enemies and filled them with good food. They're going to forget their God, and they're going to sin against him. And so because of that, I am going to send judgment. And my people, many evils are going to come upon them. And so this is... The context, and then Jesus said, or the Lord says to Moses, write a song, write a song prophesying these things to the people as a warning against them, as a witness against them, for it will surely happen. My people, they will go into the promised land and they will turn against me. Write this song and teach it to them, and it will bear witness against them. And so that brings us to Deuteronomy 32. So read with me now in verse 1. This is the start of this song. Give ear, listen, O heavens, and I will speak. And let the earth hear the words of my mouth. You see what I did there when I yelled, I got your attention? That's what Moses is doing right now. He's saying, give ear, exclamation point. Listen, people of Israel, the Lord is about to speak. What I am saying is important. He's calling the heavens and the earth to listen, to give witness to what is about to happen, to the judgment that the Lord is about to bring. And so listen. And I'm telling you, junior higher tonight, listen. Listen to the word of the Lord. The Lord is about to speak through his word, and you must listen and heed this warning. And then he goes on in verse 2 and says, May my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass. And like showers upon the earth. So he says, listen, listen. Hear my voice. The Lord is about to speak. What you are about to learn, what you are about to be taught from God's word, receive it. And it will, what does rain do? What does rain do to grass and to plants? Somebody help me out. It makes it wet. That's true, it makes it wet. What else does it do? Water. But is water wet? That was a question, Matt. Okay. Anyways, what does water do to like plants and grass? Helps it grow. That's right. And so 
Yes, the rain, it nurtures, it revives, and it brings growth to the grass and to the plants. And so the Lord is saying here, listen, listen to what I was speaking. <clears throat> listen to my teaching. Listen to the words of God, and it will cause you to grow. It will cause you to flourish like the grass and like the plants when it receives water. And then he goes on in verse 3 and says, For I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God. It's like what we just sang about. Great are you, Lord. This is what Moses is doing. He's saying, great is the Lord. He says, ascribe. This is a command. People, ascribe. Ascribe greatness. Give, proclaim the greatness of God. Worship God. It's a command. And so, and then he also, in verse 3, he says, our God. And so what's about to happen is Moses is going to tell the people, prophesy that they are going to turn and serve other gods. So what Moses is doing here is he's drawing their attention to serve the one true God, Yahweh, the God who has brought them out of the land of Egypt, through the land of the wilderness, and into the promised land now. He's saying, serve and proclaim the name of our God. Ascribe greatness to our God, the one and true God, because he knows they're about to turn away from God, and so he's warning them. And then he goes in and read with me in verse 4. How, how does Moses ascribe greatness to our God? This is what he says. He says, the rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. This is perhaps one of the greatest verses in the Bible proclaiming the justice of God. That's what Moses is doing. He's ascribing greatness to the God, to our God. How? By proclaiming his justice. He says it many times here. And so first, let's look at the rock. When you think of a rock, you think of, it's not talking about a pebble, it's a rock. Think of a big, strong, immovable, unchanging. It's a shelter. It's our defense. This rock is pointing to Christ, our Savior, who is the rock of our salvation. Moses, later in his song, refers to it as the rock of our salvation many times. He's talking about Christ. Christ is our immovable, unchanging shelter and defense who we run to. And then he goes into and says, his work is perfect. Everything that he does, all of his judgments, all of who God is, he is perfect. All of his ways, not some, all of his ways are just. He's a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, without sin, just and upright is he. See, God's justice is a beautiful thing. It gets Moses to sing. And as humans made in the image of God... We all have a sense of justice built into us. When you see, if you were to see somebody get murdered, what would you respond to that? Would you just look away and think that everything's all right? Or if you were in a court and there was somebody who was standing before the judge who just got done again, like murdering somebody or doing a heinous crime, and the judge just looked at them and said, you can go free. What would you respond to that? Your guts would probably turn within you because you see that that is wrong. Wickedness needs to be punished. And so, though this justice that is in us because we are made in the image of God is broken because of our sin, we see that we still have a sense of justice. And I'm sure you guys have seen things, you've seen people get bullied, or you've seen evil in this world, and you know it's wrong. It's because you're made in the image of God, and God is a just God. And so, 
that kind of goes into defining what is God's justice, which is point number one. I'll state those again real quick. I don't know if I did, but I have four points. The first is this. What is the justice of God? For those who are taking notes. The second is this. How does God, what does God's justice demand of us? The third question is, how can a just God save sinners? And the fourth question is, how do we respond? How should we respond? And so, you see, Moses here in Deuteronomy is just praising God's justice. But what is justice? What does it mean that God is just? The Bible uses the word justice and righteousness interchangeably, synonymously. And so, maybe you guys are more familiar with the word righteousness. When you think of God's justice, think of his righteousness. Everything that God does is right. In all of God's judgments, he is perfect. God always judges fairly. And God's justice means that he gives to everyone what they deserve. It means that God does not overlook sin. When you, like we were talking about earlier, when you see wickedness, when you see evil in this world, don't, shouldn't it be punished? Or should we let evil people, like we think Hitler, just walk free? No, justice is a good thing, and our God is just. He will not let evil and sin reign. He will punish it. And so, what Moses is doing here in verse 4 is two things. One, he's setting up and defending the justice of God for everything that is about to take place. He says, our God is just. He will not let sin go unpunished. And then what he's going to go through on the rest of this huge chapter is he's going to be talking about Israel's sin and how God is about to judge them. He is going to bring utter desolation upon the people of Israel. He is going to destroy them. He's going to bring famine. He's going to judge them. And they are going to die. And, and Moses is saying, everything that is about to happen to Israel, God is just in doing it. He is right. It is good that he is going to do this. And it is fair. God will not let sin go unpunished. And the second thing that he's doing in this is he's painting a huge picture of who God is. He's saying... Israel, look at your God. Look at how he's treated you. He's been fair. He has loved you. He is just in all of his dealings. He is perfect. And then immediately, like light and darkness is contrasted, verse 5. We see the greatness and the perfection of God. And then immediately, Moses jumps into the darkness of humanity. He jumps in and shows us how we are not just. We are not perfect. We are full of sin. Read with me in verse 5. But they, Israel, have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. So see, when we see the greatness of who God is, it shows us our own sinfulness. We see the perfection of God and we see our imperfection. We see the holiness of God and we see our unholiness. And so Israel is going to sin against God. And God is going to judge them for it because he will not let wickedness go unpunished. But doesn't this remind you of us? God has loved Israel so much. Hasn't God loved you? Think of how he's brought you here tonight. How he's put clothes on our back. How he's given us families who love us. How he's provided for us and given us food. And he's loved us so dearly. The, the fact that we can stand here and breathe is the grace of God. And how have we treated God in return? We've sinned against Him. Our whole lives have been marked by sin against God. 
And you see, Israel's not the only one who sinned against a loving God. We have too, which means that we deserve judgment as well. So turn to me, and for the remainder of our time, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 3. And this brings us into point number two. What does God's justice demand of us? We, like Israel, have sinned against God. And because God is just, he will not, let, he will not wink at our sin. He will not turn a blind eye toward our sin and our wickedness. We are like Israel. We have sinned against God. And so, we're going to look at Romans 3, verse 10. It says that none, none is righteous, no, not one. And then look at verse 23. Similarly, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Each and every one of us have sinned against a holy God who has made us and created us, who's loved us and given us breath and life. And so the question is, what does God's justice demand of us? Because God will not look away from our sin. We know that we've sinned. How many of you have loved the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loved your neighbor as yourself? Each and every one of us, I look at my own life. I've been, I am so full of sin. I have, in my thoughts, I can be so prideful and be filled with so much sin. In my words, how many times I've torn other people down and sinned against others. In my actions, how many times I've done things that I should not have done and sinned against God. All of us, we have sinned in our thoughts, in our words, and in our deeds. We are full of sin, even from our youth when we were young. And that's what this verse, and that's what the Bible clearly shows us, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All, do you think all includes some of us? Or all of us. All of us. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us are off the hook. And so then, the question is, what does God's justice demand of us? God's justice demands judgment of us. And God's judgment is eternal, conscious torment in a place called hell. And it is a real place. And it is a scary place. And it is a terrifying place. The Bible describes it as a lake of fire. An unquenchable fire where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And where the worm never dies. Where their time moves infinitely slowly. There will be no hope of escape. No hope that the next day will be better than the last. This is a frightful place. And this is what God says this is, what this is what God's justice demands of us. Eternity and hell. And now, some of you, I can see it on your faces. That is a frightful place. And many of you are maybe thinking, me? I deserve hell? I thought hell was just for the worst of the worst. I mean, I've never done one of the really bad sins. I've never murdered somebody. Maybe I've been disrespectful to my parents a couple of times. Maybe I've lied before. But surely I don't deserve hell, maybe a little slap on the wrist. Well, friends, the problem is that we have such a small view of God and such a great, big, and mighty view of ourselves. 
In order to understand the justice of God, we also need to understand God's holiness. And so to show God's holiness, I have a little illustration for you guys. Say I were to take a rock, and I went into a junkyard with cars that are about to be mashed up and destroyed. And I took this rock and I went and started scratching cars in this junkyard. Do you think I'd get in trouble? Probably not. These cars are about to get destroyed anyways. Now, sorry, I took that same rock and went into a used car lot where they're, they're selling these cars. They're not the nicest of cars. They're a little beat up, but they still run and they're trying to sell them. And I took this rock and I started scratching cars in this used car lot. Do you think I'd get in trouble? Probably. I mean, maybe nothing major. I'd probably get slapped with a fine that I don't want to pay, but it probably wouldn't be the end of the world. Now, who are my car people in here? Who in here likes cars? All right, Cal, tell me like your favorite, most expensive car. Lamborghini, that's about the only one that I can think of too. I'm not, I don't know cars that well. But yes, like a Lamborghini. Say I were to go up to the nicest, most expensive Lamborghini and I took that rock and I just put a huge scratch across it. Now do you think I'd get in trouble? Yeah. yeah. See, the holier the object, the greater the sin against it, the greater the transgression. Does that make sense? A Bugatti. A Bugatti. Say I went up to a Bugatti and just scratched it with a rock. I'd get in a lot of trouble. And so it's the same way with God. The holier the object, the greater the sin against it. God is infinitely holy. He is infinitely holy. He is perfect. He is set apart from us with no sin. And every time we sin, it's like we're taking a rock and scratching. That is how, because of God is infinitely holy, that means our sin is infinitely serious. And that means our sin deserves an infinite punishment. Which is why God's justice demands of us a place as serious as hell. And that is where all of us, that is what all of us deserve. If God gave us all justice, right now what is fair for us is all of us to end up there. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When some of you are thinking to yourselves, well, isn't God gracious? Isn't he merciful? Isn't he loving? Hasn't God promised to save sinners? How then? How can God, how can a just God save sinners? And that is our third question. Does God compromise his justice in order to show us mercy? Does he... Is he part justice, part mercy? What do you guys think? Do you guys think God is made up of parts? Is he part mercy, part justice? What do you think, Isaiah? He's all, he's all justice and he's all mercy. Amen, and brother. He's all, and he's all grace. That's right. No, God cannot. He is justice. He loves justice. And as much as he is justice, he is mercy. God, God cannot just look away from our sin and put away justice and give us mercy and grace. That would not be just. Think about it this way, all right? I am, ju I'm a judge right now. I'm, I'm Judge Judy. Anybody know who Judge Judy is? There we go. I'm Judge Judy, and you guys are all a part of the Joker's crew that just robbed a bank and shot a bunch of guards and people, all right? And you guys are all, you're coming before me as the judge, and what if I were to look at you and just say, 
Yeah, I know you guys just stole a bunch of money and killed a bunch of people, but um, I'm a loving and a gracious and a merciful judge. And so you guys can just go free. No punishment, no fine, no jail time. Would that be a good thing? Yeah. What would you say to that judge? Thanks. <laughs> hey, that's, hey, that just shows humans. Our justice is broken because of our sin. <laughs> no, what, would, what do you guys say? I heard it from a lot of you guys. That would not be fair. That's wicked. That's a wicked judge. And our God is not a wicked judge. He loves justice. But you're right. He is 100% merciful as well. And so how? How can a just God save sinners? Well, friends, there is hope. Because there is a way where God can both be merciful to us and just at the same time. There is a way where God can save us. And it is through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so please, continue to read with me in uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 23. I'll read it again. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified, or declared righteous... By His grace, as a gift. How? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God put forward as a propitiation, big word, we'll come back to it, don't worry, by His blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time, so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, we just need to pause there. There is so much in that section, and I do not, I wish I did, but I do not have the time to walk through that verse by verse. But I will try to unpack it here. And in fact, I've got a little friend here known as the Belgic Confession. Weird word. Can everybody say Belgic? Belgic. Weird word. Don't know where it got the name from, but this is a church confession, and this was written by people much wiser than me, and it was actually written about this section in Scripture, which Paul, the author of Romans, is asking the same question that I'm asking you guys now. How can a just God save sinners? How Paul puts it is, how can God both be just and the justifier? How can God give the guilty what they deserve and do everything without compromising his justice? And at the same time, save sinners who deserve death and hell. Paul's asking that question. Here is a concise, great answer. So, this is what the confession says. We believe that God, who is perfectly merciful and just, sent his son to assume that nature in which the disobedience was committed. What it's saying is, we believe that God, he is perfectly merciful and just, we talked about that, he sent his son to take on human flesh. That's what we were about to celebrate at Christmas. Jesus taking on human flesh. And it says, it is human flesh, it is humans that disobey God. And so, this brings us to why Christ is the answer. This is how we can have, this is how we can be justified, be saved is through Christ because he is fully God and fully man. It was man who sinned against God, so man must pay the penalty for their sin. And so that's what the confession is saying. We believe that God, who is perfectly merciful and just, 
sent his son to assume that nature, human nature, in which the disobedience was committed. Why? To make satisfaction in the same and to bear the punishment of sin by his most bitter passion in death on the cross. God, therefore, made known his justice against his son when he laid our iniquities upon him and poured forth his mercy and goodness on us. We who were guilty and worthy of damnation, out of mere and perfect love, gave his son unto death for us and raised him for our justification, that through him we might obtain immortality and life eternal. Saying is, our God is so gracious and merciful that he made a way for sinners like you and me to be saved. And he did this by sending Jesus Christ, who is fully God, infinite. We talked about God being infinite in here, right? He is infinite, able to bear the full wrath and justice of God that we deserve. The Bible uses this illustration of a cup. And this cup is overflowing with God's righteous, just wrath and anger for our sin. And what happened is, Christ is or God is saying, I am just and this cup must be poured out. This cup must be drinking. Will this cup of God's justice be poured up upon you, spending eternity in eternal conscious torment in hell? Or will this cup be poured out upon Jesus Christ? Because that's what he did on the cross. Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because on the cross, the justice of God was poured out upon his own son. So that guilty sinners like you and me can have mercy and grace and love. And do you see, do you see how that tension is resolved there? At the cross, the mercy and the justice of God meet. They're intertwined. Divine justice satisfied as it is poured out upon the perfect Son of Man, Jesus Christ. Mercy extended to us through Jesus. And so, how then? How can a just God save sinners? It is through Christ. It is through Christ. Through putting your faith in Him. That's what, it says it twice here in Romans. Whom God put forward as a propitiation. Propitiation means to exhaust, to satisfy completely. Christ, God put forward on the cross, and in his death, by, by his death on the cross, he satisfied the wrath of God, drank the cup of God's wrath to the drag, not leaving one drop for any person who believes in him and puts their faith in him. So how is this to be received? How can you, junior higher, be saved? It is through faith in Jesus Christ. It is received by faith. Again, in verse 26, that God might be just and the justifier of the one who, what? What does it say? Who's looking at the Bible? Verse 26, that God might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith. There it is again. Faith in Jesus Christ. And so what is faith? We talk about that all the time. Put your faith in Christ. Well, to illustrate this, all of you guys are demonstrating faith or trust right now by sitting in your chairs. I love using this in a kid's ministry because even they understand and they love this illustration, I think. 
By sitting in your chair, you're putting your full weight, your full confidence that you're not going to fall to the ground. And in the same way, put your full trade, put your full trust, your full confidence, all of who you are, in Christ. Put your faith in Him that He has died in your place as your substitute on the cross. And when you put your faith in Christ, you are united with Him. All that is yours becomes His. Your filthy robes of sin and unrighteousness, which deserve hell, are placed upon Christ. And that is why God has poured out His wrath on Christ. God has looked upon Christ upon the tree and has seen our sin and has judged it and has satisfied His justice. All that is yours becomes Christ's. And all that is Christ becomes yours. Christ's perfect robes of righteousness, of perfection, He's placed upon all those who put their faith in Christ so that when He looks at you, He no longer sees your sin and your filth and judges you for it, but He sees the perfect righteousness of Christ. And that is your only way to be received into heaven is through Christ. That's why Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to the Father is through me. I am the door. There's no other way of salvation. God's justice will be satisfied. It will either be upon you, poured out in his just anger, or it will be upon Christ. I love the hymn. Um, wow, I can't think of the name anymore. Um, anyways, a line in it says this. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Because the sinless Savior died, because Christ died on the cross, my, your sinful soul can be counted free. For God the just, the justice of God is satisfied to look upon Christ on the cross and to pardon us. And so, junior higher, God is so loving. He is so gracious. What love for the Father to set forth, to give up His one and only Son, so that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. What love of Jesus Christ to condescend from His glory in heaven, to take on human flesh, to voluntarily go to the cross and experience the wrath of God on your behalf so you would not have to experience one bit of it. That is love. There is no greater love than that. And so come to Christ. I cannot scare you out of hell. I cannot terrify you out of hell to make you jump into heaven. I cannot charm you to go to heaven by the riches there. But put your trust in Christ for Christ's sake alone. Look at his love for you. Look at his grace and his mercy to give his own life to die for you, to die for me. What are we? We are full of sin and wickedness. We have done nothing but despise God and worship other things. What love? God has loved us so much. And so trust in Him. It is a free gift. Come to me, Jesus says, with His arms stretched open on the cross. Come to me, all who, all who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says that all who believe in their hearts and confess with their mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You have God's promise. He has made a way for us sinners to be saved. And that is through Jesus. 
So believe in him. And so lastly, how should we respond? Well, first, again, by faith. By faith in Christ. Many of you in here, you may say that you're Christians, but your lives do not reflect that. You are truly still dead in your sin. And the wrath of God is hanging over your head. You may not experience God's justice immediately. You may go on your whole life living in sin and prospering in this world. But God is just. His justice may be like a sleeping lion. It will awake one day and it will devour. His sword will be unsheathed. His arrow will be bent. God's justice will be satisfied. He will not let sin go unpunished. And so I plead with you, God is faithful and just to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Put your faith in Christ, who experienced the sword and the bow of God. And Christian, God's justice is such a comfort to his people. How many of you have gone through suffering, have gone through trials, and you don't understand why? Maybe you've studied really hard for a test, and you failed the test. Happens, it's happened to me. How many of you guys have maybe tried out, worked really hard to get on a sports team, and you didn't make the sports team? That's also happened to me. Or maybe you've lost something, like a pet that you loved, or someone, maybe a grandmother that you loved. And you may be confused and you don't know why this is happening, but this is why the justice of God is so sweet to his people. Because we can say, whatever my God ordains is right. No matter what I go through, my God is just. He is working all things for the good of his people, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And God's justice is a comfort to his people because we live in such a wicked world. Look around you. You guys saw wickedness and evil and sin today. I'm sure you guys have been bullied at school before, or you've seen just injustice in your schools. One day, our Lord will set all things right. He will not let the wicked go free. He will punish each one according to their deeds. And so the justice of God is a sweet thing to his people. One day, we have a future hope in heaven where every tear will be wiped away, where there will be no pain, no injustice, no suffering. And so that means on this earth, do not seek revenge for yourself. When people wrong you, Jesus says to love those who persecute you. Love those who hate you. Leave justice to our God, who is perfectly just. And the last application I have for you guys is the justice of God should lead us to share the gospel. Think of your friends at school, maybe even family members of yours who are unbelievers. They, again, they may claim that they're believers, but their lives do not reflect that, and they are not saved. These are your friends. These are the people who you love. If you love them, what greater love could you show than sharing this gospel, the good news which I proclaim to you today? God's justice is hanging over your friends who are unbelievers. And so, out of love for them and Share the gospel. Share the justice of God with them, that there is a way that they can be saved through Jesus Christ, by faith in him. Let's pray. 